welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Welcome to this episode of Walking with Freya. It's been a while since I've put out a full-length episode, and if you'd like to hear more about that, you can check out the previous mini-episode. But for now, I'm excited to introduce you to Elliot, a transgender, autistic, and disabled adult. I did this interview quite a while ago, and I'm excited to finally get it out there. It's an incredibly important topic that many of us know little about. We have misconceptions and preconceived ideas about it. Gender identity. It's a hot topic in, in the news and in a lot of social circles, at least maybe out here on the West Coast. <laughs> maybe you are wondering why a podcast about the special needs community is sharing an episode on gender identity. Intersectionality. People are not all one thing. Someone diagnosed with autism is not freed from the contemplation of their internal gender identity, just like people with PWS can be of any ethnicity or race or sex, and all of the issues and the experiences that go along with those, as well as the challenges of PWS. We are all complex beings with a variety of journeys. So be kind to each other. Be accepting. We all face a variety of challenges and carry with us attributes, desires, and fears, and some medical diagnosis does not free us from that. There is much to learn for many of us from Elliot's story, and I hope that whatever your feelings are on this topic, that you can listen without judgment and be willing to learn. I say this because so much in our society lately just feels yucky, and it's often scary for a lot of people. So I hope that we can all be willing to learn to be accepting and open to the feelings and the experiences of others, and again, just be kind to one another. Elliot is a trans, multi-disabled, and autistic artist, recent college graduate, summer camp counselor, and disability autism and LGBTQ advocate. He is passionate about ensuring better outcomes for disabled, autistic, trans, and gender-expansive young people. His past work has included speaking at a support group for parents of autistic and trans kids, developing a workshop for the Philadelphia Autism Project's self-advocacy series, starting an LGBTQ plus student group at his college, and working with faculty and administrators at his college to better support queer students and meet the needs of the neurodiverse student body. Elliot and I talk about the language that is used. We talk about the misconceptions of the transgender journey. No, they're not putting children on hormones. We talk about the importance of kids' exploration, how autism affected his journey, the common developmental stages in which people want to explore or define gender, mental health, advice for parents and teens, and the importance of affirmation for positive mental health and suicide prevention. Elliot has shared some great resources and you'll find those links in the show notes of the podcast. Feel free to contact me if you'd like to share your own experience with gender identity on the podcast, or if you just need someone to hear you. I'll listen. 
I'm open to all conversations involving the special needs and disability community. So if you have a story to share and would like to come on the podcast, send me an email at walkingwithfreya at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy this podcast and perhaps learn something new or something you needed to hear. Thanks for being here. All right. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for talking with me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And um, I also want to say that uh, I am trying to learn all the language. And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, please feel free to correct me if I get something wrong or uh, if, you know, if things have changed. So, you know, I live in a pretty progressive part of the country. I'm in Northern California. Um, but I know that I have a lot of listeners kind of all around the country and at different places in the world. So it's nice to kind of uh, maybe just, you know, get clear on some things. And um, so and on some of it is kind of like there's, you know, it's language on gender has some overlap with language about disability where like there are like general rules of thumb, but obviously like each individual human being, especially like trans or gender non-conforming or gender expansive person is going to have slightly different language that they prefer about them, which is like, so there's general terms and then like an individual might have like, hey, this is what I use and this is what it means for me. So that is worth noting too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, I found myself when I was um, kind of writing out my notes, you know, in the, in the line of like, I'm um, speaking about somebody with disabilities, how you say like my daughter has Prader-Willi syndrome and I would never say a prouder willy person i would say yeah. someone with prouder willy syndrome and then I, when i was writing out like you know the person i kept wanting like my brain kept trying to say person with trans and i was like no no no, it's a transgender oh, yeah. person like <laughs> it's similar like with like it with even within disability communities different like subgroups will have different language preferences like autistic people not always but for the a majority prefer autistic person whereas like i also have ehlers danlos syndrome and I would say I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So it's like a little bit, some of it depends on like the disability, um, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just to let uh, the audience know who you are, you, um, I met you on Instagram yes. and you said that you are a transgender, autistic and disabled adult. That's mm -hmm. how you identified yourself to me. And so I really wanted to have this conversation about, um, you know, transgender, it's something that's coming up a lot in the news. It's yeah. something not just transgender, but the, the, the conversation about gender identity and yeah. you know, what, what I've come across a lot with, I have a teenage daughter Yeah, and you know, she has friends who I met as a she, her, and now they are going by they, them. And so there's a lot of um, that coming up. And so it's just, I just think it's fascinating how you know what the like the the possibilities like what we're learning and kind of where it's all coming from and um it's so to see because i'm i'm an adult but i'm also i'm i'm 23 so i'm still like gen z so like um our generation my generation if your daughter's a teenager her generation too um there's a lot more the like the environment is is a lot more conducive for for young people, especially, you know, it, it varies in parts of the country. Like, obviously there's parts of the country where this is not the case, but like surveys and stuff, there are a lot more teenagers and Gen Z um, people who are identifying as outside of the binary even, and, and um, like as different 
like places on the gender spectrum than and 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 LGBTQ than like ever before. So like it's which is really exciting, I think, but also like, you know, it's going to kind of, you know, that like is going to like uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like kind of create uh, some like questions in mm-hmm. society as a whole because it really challenges assumptions that we've held um socially for a really long time. Right. Yeah. It, well, and, and that's something that keeps coming up in conversations. Cause I have, I have friends whose children are, are exploring all these options as well. And so, you know, us as parents, we're trying to, trying to, you know, figure out, okay, like, how do we, you know, how, what's our role in this? And, uh, you know, one of the questions that keeps coming up is, you know, is, you know, there are so many people now that you, that you're talking with and, and, hearing about that are questioning their gender identity and and one of the questions is you know is it that people are we're hearing more about it there are more people exploring it is it because they feel safer to do that is it because they're learning about it and now they have like a new understanding of themselves uh, you know words for that um is there an element of you know it's kind of like the the like kind of getting on the trend kind of thing like what do you what, what do you think about any of those? Mostly those first two things. I I think that third one is 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 it's not so much a trend as much as there's more information and that is a trend. So like the the trend is openness, which is I don't think mm-hmm. going to end. Like I think like in general, like trans people and people with like expansive gender identities have always existed in sorry, there are people being loud outside. <laughs> That's okay. I don't even hear it uh so like have always existed they just might not have had the language and with the ability like I think part of it is is what happened what's happening now is we have kids they're growing up in a communication rich world and technology rich world so they're able to like you know access information from like just like at from like just the tip of their fingers they can go on their phones and and I I think that it's not so much that they didn't that these people didn't exist they just didn't have the language and I think that's actually a good thing and I think one thing too is I think there is an aspect of like especially with teenagers concern for trending but I don't think exploration is a bad thing like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of like concern Mm -hmm. about oh no like they are they trans or are they trendy I don't think that's a thing I think it's just like some people you know, are, I think it's even good for cisgender people. So people who do not identify who, no, cisgender means someone who identifies as the gender they were identified, assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing for even cisgender people to explore ge- like what their gender identity means. So you might see teenagers kind of trying out different pronouns and stuff and ultimately deciding with the ones that they started with. But I don't think that's a sign of a bad thing. I think that's them, you know, figuring themselves out, you know? Mm-hmm like what does that mean to you which I think is the way to have that conversation like a lot of parents just shut shut it down like they aren't able to process it and and I think that's the situation where you start to have problems because then they might not be open to talking to the parents but you were like oh I do want to have a conversation about this like what does that mean for you you gave your kid a space to like hey I, I want I want to see if this is right which is I think something that like I think we need to encourage more of like I work with kids um Mm -hmm. uh, I uh mostly during the summers camp counselor um and 
you know, I think it is important. Like I sometimes get like pushback sometimes for some of my coworkers about like, no, this is silly. Or like, why are you talking to them? I'm like, I won't bring it up, but if, if kids have questions, I'm not going to hide information. I'm going to be appropriate in what I'm sharing, but also like sometimes things happen where kids are like, I want to go buy this. And it's like a silly name, Mm -hmm. but like, I want to teach kids to respect each other. Like I, I, this past summer, I had a, there was a day where one of the kids was like, calling another kid something that he didn't really like nickname wise. And they were like, no, that's not my name. And I was like, guys, we need to respect, like, do you want to be called that? And, and the kid was like, no, I don't want to be called that. And so like, all right, so we need to respect what someone tells you they want to go by. And kids often will take that to its silly extreme, like, haha, I want to go by snit stick or whatever. And I will respect <laughs> that. Like, even though I know they're playing, that's how they learn and explore. And I will show them like, okay, you want to go by this. And then like five minutes later, okay, I'm going to go by this. And it's kind of a game. And people think that that's like, that's ridiculous. But like, I will take it to the letter because Mm -hmm. I want to show them like, I'm serious about this. And it teaches them about like learning about like, oh, sometimes people don't go by the name you think, or like they don't go by the pronouns you think. Um, and I think people think it's a conversation you can't have with kids, but really it's a conversation that like kids are almost better at understanding it than adults because they're trying out different identities all the time and play and like, oh, I'm going to be this. And it's like, what does it mean to use they, them pronouns? Like little kids, like try out different things. Like they'll have phases where they're like, I want to try this out. Like, and that's not mm-hmm. to say gender, like identity is going to be a phase, but with little kids, it's always better to like let it happen and oh well, okay it was a phase than to completely shut it down because that's where you start having problems of like internalizing um like depression and and like I, I say to my coworkers like if a kid is going to ask me about my gender because they're like are you a girl or a boy and I'll be like I'll answer it and as I've worked with different ages of kids so the conversation I have with my four-year-olds mm-hmm. is not going to be the same as the 10-year-old right. <laughs> Uh, but like the and four-year-olds are you know are gonna ask kind of more silly questions but like the the conversations I have with like eight-year-olds some of them have heard of pronouns like over the summer one of the kids was talking about different pronouns and I was like yeah that's right like some and I and you know sometimes I'll say like like I personally use these pronouns and these pronouns and and even if we don't know that any of those kids might be trans or gender expansive I always air on the side of caution because like there's research that shows that having just one affirming adult in a kid's Mm. life dramatically reduces suicide risk um and and even if it's just knowing that's an option like I know a lot of trans people who grew up knowing something felt different and they didn't know what it was and they didn't know being trans or non-binary or 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 any other kind of identity is even an option Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it is kids who had these feelings are able to learn about those things. And I think it's an important conversation mm-hmm. to have. Absolutely. You know, yeah, you know, with little kids, they do, they want to explore all of these different options. And so why not create the space for them to do that and, and be open to that. Cause like you said, you know, when, when you totally shut it down, then there's no exploration of it where maybe in the exploration of it, they would get to kind of like where, where my daughter did was like, Oh wait, no, maybe that's not for me. Um, 
but you know, or maybe it would, uh, yeah, it's just, it's important to explore and understand these things. And, and, and I, and I like what you said about, I can really see how having an adult in your life, um, that, you know, kind of affirms how you, how you see yourself or, or that, that there are options other than what, you know, the status quo is giving us can really give you hope for how you're feeling. So I think, I bet you're doing great work. Sounds like it. I love love with kids. And and I know, like, I know that I'm often the first, like for a lot of these kids, they've never necessarily met a trans person or like a visibly disabled or an openly autistic person before. Like I'm, I'm open with my kids. Like they ask, like, especially the older kids, if they ask about like, why do you do that? I'll give them an age appropriate answer. Like, I'm not going to go into like, like that's, you know, just like any topic, like there's ways, like I'm a big fan of not like deciding kids are too, aren't ready to know about something because I really don't, I really think that kids are way smarter than we give them credit for. (laughs) Like if you don't, if you're like, no, we don't talk about that. They're not going to stop having questions thinking about it. They're just going to have absolutely no ground. And the other thing is, is, I mean, in my job, I can't assume that kids are going to be getting like, like, like part of it is like, no, these are conversations for home. And I'm like, but here's the thing about making them conversations at home. A lot of kids don't necessarily have an affirming home. And, Mm -hmm. and it's not really a matter like, for me, I'm like, I'm talking openly about who I am, in a way that is going to perhaps, you know, be um, like in some in some part it's it could potentially be suicide prevention because like mm-hmm. I mean I, I mean I know in most cases these kids are cis but you never know it's and and it's always better to have an open conversation about like a little kid will be like a lot of times what it ends up talking about especially with the littlest kids is like I know you like they're confused about like oh but you're you're I mean, I identify as non-binary trans masculine, so like not entirely binary, but with little kids, I it's I, I often will be like, yeah, I identify as more of a boy, like unless kids seem to have a concept of it already, and then I will go into a little bit more detail. But if kids ask, like, but I thought boys X, or like I know I might look like a girl, but I'm actually a boy, like they get that, or like people thought I was a girl when I was a kid but then when I got older I actually thought oh wait I'm actually a boy so that's why like and the kids get that because they're still learning about those concepts like as like 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 they're learning about like what categories are like a four-year-old over the summer was confused about me having a go-go squeeze applesauce because he was like wait grown-ups can (laughs) applesauce like they're cognitively still learning about that and it, it's mm. not necessarily different as long as you know how to you know frame it right well and I think it's good too because you know even if someone is in what you know the parents think is an affirming home um you know if these parents are like my generation and you know we're raised very clearly with like boy girl and uh, you know, like it's a hard, there's a lot that we don't know and like so even if it is like a, a loving home where they're they're open they may not have the language or the the skills to really talk about it or to even be able to really you know to really have those conversations so I think it it is good it's probably great for these kids to to you know to meet you and to be able to have these conversations if um because maybe the parents just don't even realize that they should be having these conversations or they don't know how to have these conversations. 
So. That was totally the case for my parents. Like they were affirming. My mom was just like, wait, huh? Like, like it's funny too, because I grew up, I knew queer and trans adults. Um, I, I, I'm Quaker. So I grew up in a very, um, uh, like affirming community, faith community. Um, and, and so my mom wasn't non-affirming. She just like, some of the terms I was using, she was, you know, she, she was open, but she just didn't necessarily know. So like, and I think especially for some kids, if they're very anxious, that can come off as feeling like, oh, they aren't affirming, but it just is a matter of like, knowing how to like, you know, parents, I think it is important for them to kind of have questions about their kid. But I think at the same time, if they have questions more broadly, like, I think it's important for them to seek out um, information that's, you know, reputable Mm -hmm. um, on their own, because their kid might not necessarily, you know, want to be that educator. And and especially if they're actually children, even teenagers, like that, that would be a weird role for them to take on. So like, and my mom at first was like, wait, what are you saying? Like she, 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 she was like, I think she would have had an easier time at first if I had come out as binary trans, because she kind of definitely had a concept of that. But when I came out, because I came out first as completely non-binary. Um, and can you explain that for, just for the audience so, and for me? <laughs> uh, transgender is uh, an umbrella term, uh, trans okay. being across, so, or apart. So transgender is an umbrella term for a variety of different identities in which uh, the person does not identify as the gender that they were assigned at birth. Um, And so within that you have binary and non-binary gender identities. So binary transgender identities are that sort of, I think what most people think of when they think of the term transgender as like trans man. So, you know, transitioning from female to male, although like trans man this is the other thing I got asked like I'm trans masculine uh is like does that so wait does that mean that you were and and I'm like no I like I used to you know I I was identified I was assigned female at birth um and then identify masculine uh so a trans man would be someone who was identified a female at birth and identifies as male Uh, a trans woman would be someone who was assigned male at birth uh, and now identifies as, as female. Um, but within that, like, that's just like one small part of that umbrella. Okay. Um, there's this whole spectrum of other identities. Um, and non-binary is both a, like a single identifier, but also an umbrella term for basically anything other than, than like, I am a man fully 100% or I am a woman fully 100%. Um, or, you know, some people might, you know, identify, like, like I said, like language varies depending on who exactly you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Like some non-binary people wouldn't necessarily identify as trans. Although I always say like, it's under the trans umbrella, but there are some non-binary people who, who don't use the term trans for themselves. But non-binary is another thing where it's like, if you have male, you have female, and some people identify somewhere in between, like by gender, you might have like some this or some that, but it's this sort of like, you can identify as male, female, somewhere in between or some somewhere outside of like one thing that I really appreciated. So uh, when I was 17 until I age, started to age out at 22, I was seen at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia's uh, gender sexuality and de- gender development clinic. And mm-hmm. one thing that they had me do was draw these pizzas. Um, 
where I could put on, I drew on toppings um, and I could draw this identifies as masculine, feminine, or um, for me, I have this sort of feeling of other, like I identify as somewhat of a boy, but like not, like I, I don't like the term male because that doesn't feel right, but I like the term masculine because I feel like I'm a mix of a little bit masculine mm-hmm. and a little bit of something else. So on my pizzas, I drew one pizza of how I feel on the inside, one pizza of how I like to express on the outside and one pizza of how other people often assume. Um, so it's the sort of like, it's not necessarily like male or female, which is part of why I say to like cis people can explore their gender identity too, because I, I was actually having a conversation with one of my peers about this the other day where I'm like, she was asked like, how did you know? I was like, well, how do you know that you're a woman? Hmm. Besides, you know, what your body parts are. And I think it's a really interesting exploration because hmm because like trans people often have a more complicated relationship with that just because we're sort of like expected to but everyone has a gender identity whether that be a gender like some people identify as like no I don't feel like I have a gender um it's just a really interesting colorful spectrum of things um and and it's just like a lot of diversity Mm -hmm. um within that umbrella and um it's really cool. I also recommend uh, the Gender Unicorn, which you can look up. I, th- I can't remember. I, th- I can't remember which organization it is, but the Gender Unicorn is a um, like a diagram that kind of helps it break down the different aspects. So there's like ge- the, there's like three parts: like romantic attraction, physical attraction, mm. and then because ge- it's separate, it's like gender identity, right. expression, and it's a really interesting tool that kind of visualizes it for people. I prefer the gender unicorn because it was developed by trans people and kind of the way they lay it out is a little bit better. Um, the gender bred person is a little bit more simplified. Um, okay. I, I will, uh, I'll check that out. So, well, so do you mind telling us a little bit about your own kind of how, how old were you when you started really, um, you know, I, I don't know, like started having these these inc- I, I don't know. I don't even know how to ask this question. So I, I started kind of realizing, so my story was a little bit, I, I think a little different. So for context, um, when I was a teenager, I was uh, really severely mentally ill. Um, and I think part of it was undiagnosed autism. So that like and interventions they were trying weren't really addressing a certain amount of, of what I needed. So I just was like, I was really unstable. So I was in and out of mental health treatment and I think that like I can't untangle that from my my gender experience because I was experiencing a lot of you know I I had it wasn't my most severe mental health condition but um I I did have an eating disorder and like really poor body image and I think it took me a long time to sort of like sort out how much of that was like the eating disorder and how much of that was like being trans and not realizing it although that isn't even necessarily like an either or situation because trans people have eating disorders at much higher rates because just like body like feelings can be really complicated but anyway I was 16 I it was I was 16 not quite 17 it's funny because I had never really like thought about it before or like I was like oh I can't be trans because I I don't have bottom dysphoria which is like um gender dysphoria is that like feeling of mismatch and discomfort uh 
with different like gendered aspects of oneself and I I was like oh I can't be trans because I don't want a penis um, okay because and so I hadn't really thought about the possibility <laughs> until I was I was actually in in inpatient mental health setting and uh one of my uh this was right before I trained I uh went going to residential so I was in inpatient um waiting for uh residential placement to open up um which is part of why my story is a little bit different um and one of my peers like kind of asked me point blank like hey like do you use they them pronouns and, and somehow that question, um, like no one had asked, and I think part of it is that the, like being autistic, I hadn't, like I had been in settings where people introduced themselves using pronouns before, but I had never actually considered what pro, I just was like, oh yeah, she, her pronouns, blah, blah. But like that question made me think, and I was like, oh yeah. Like, and then I, I started kind of trying out the they, them pronouns. Um, and I really, I like, and, and just somehow like that question, point blank question, just completely like made a lot of things click in my head. Um, and I realized pretty quickly, like, oh yeah, I am non-binary. And I started kind of, well, I, I, I and it was a little bit, different because I was in a like a um, res inpatient and then a residential setting uh, like right around my 17th birthday when I sort of started coming out which just like the way that looked for me looks isn't is is a little bit different but I, as I went through that experiences and as sort of some of my mental health improved I was able to sort of start sorting out what was what mm -hmm. um because like I had been this just kind of abyss of just um, self-loathing and just like, I, I was just like miserable all the time. And like, I don't think I would have been, it, so it wasn't until my mental health started to get better that I was able to sort of like, I sort of start sifting out different things. So like, oh yeah, some of my, some of it is that I just am, have miserable because of my mental illnesses but also some of it is like this gender aspect and so kind of as my mental health conditions improved um I was able to sort of start exploring that gender aspect um and one of the things I we looked at is when I was discharged from residential one of the referrals that um my case manager set up was to uh children's hospital at Philadelphia's CHOPS gender clinic and so I started going there um the that when I was 17 and I think that was really helpful because like I saw a social worker who you know specifically works with trans young people to kind of help them sort of figure things out and like figure out like okay well like what does this mean to you and like what do you feel like a tra like transition should look like and and I also I, I was lucky that I, I did have um like some trans friends already and I think I started to make more trans friends and I I was like I was going to um Quaker youth retreats um where one of our um coordinators is trans was trans and um I think I felt like those uh young friends which is uh like the high school re weekend retreats was provided a space for kids to kind of explore those gender identities because it kind of was explicitly made clear like hey you can introduce yourself with pronouns and you can try out different pronouns and be clear like 
hey, these are the pronouns I want to try this weekend. Like, like, um, and so I sort of started exploring out different ways of being. Um, at first when I was in residential, but that sort of was, I was able to kind of really start exploring that um, after I was discharged. So I was still 17. Um, and so that like my senior year of high school, I sort of, sort of came into this feeling myself. So I, I was, I used exclusively they, them pronouns, I think for like two years and then my freshman year of college. So when I was like 18 into 19, I started like realizing like, oh, I, cause I identified just as non-binary first and then I sort of kind of like as I kind of reflected more and kind of tried out different things um realized like I do have this masculine component to my identity as well um but I not binary trans at the same time um and then you know because I think that's the other thing is that's misunderstood about what it means to be trans and transition uh, is people are like, oh, kids come out as trans and then they're immediately put on hormones and get surgery, which is like, mm -hmm. especially for kids, not at all how it works. Um, so I started going to CHOP when I was 17 and we had two visits. And then, you know, I sort of knew, I think start, kind of knew I wanted top surgery. Um, I started binding, um, Top surgery uh, is uh, surgery, uh, chest surgery, uh, usually mm. for trans mask people. Um, there's a couple of different uh, surgical operations, but I was like, I don't want to go on testosterone. And binding is, um, there's binders kind of are uh, worn by uh, people who have breasts who would like to flatten their chests. Um, and so I wore a binder for several, several years. So I didn't actually get top surgery until... 2020, but it's kind of complicated because part of why that took so long is, is not like because I'm trans, it's partly because of my health conditions. I was supposed to get it before mm -hmm. earlier than I did, uh, but uh, the surgeon I was going to originally get surgery from sort of wasn't comfortable uh, operating uh, with like one of where one of my health conditions was. Um, mm -hmm. So like that put up, but I, I didn't start hormones until I'm almost, until I was like 21 uh, or no, no, I didn't get surgery till I was 21. And then at some point, cause for a long time, it's like, no, I don't want to go on hormones. Uh, mm -hmm. But then like gradually over time, as I sort of explored different things and sort of got to, you know, like think about it and live, you know, kind of, I uh, like, as I become more comfortable with like, oh, this is what makes me feel good. And this is what makes me feel bad and this is how I want to be perceived and this is how I want to present myself um I realized like hey actually I think I do want to go on hormones and so we started that conversation with um the social worker at CHOP like hey like when I was I think 19 or 20 I can't remember exactly and I was like hey like can we talk about this and then I eventually decided I did want to start hormones um Oh, I forgot to add also, I think part of the catalyst for this is when I was 16, before I was inpatient residential, before I was in residential, I got a really short haircut. Um, and I started being like excited when people mm. see him pronouns for me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, ooh, he thought, and my sister was, and I think that like, I think that was a big thing too, is like, I got the haircut because I just kind of wanted a really like short haircut. 
Um, but then I liked the way that it influenced how other people saw me. Um, I yeah. forgot to include that part. I, so it, it, I, I, yeah. So like, it was a slow process and of, at first just kind of being like, Hey, I want to use they, them pronouns. And then, um, you know, like I'm non-binary. It's like, well, what does that mean? And like, you know, using like, you know, like reading and talking with other trans people, like, and, um, you know, a lot of it is like the only way to kind of know what fits is to sort of try things out. And, and, and I, I, and like, you know, like, it's not like it was like immediately like hormone surgery. Like that was a very long process. And I think people uh-huh. think that transitioning is just the medical part, but that's only like a small part of transition. And that's only like, and not every trans person wants to have any, like not every trans person wants to have surgery or hormones and not mm-hmm. every trans person has the same surgeries or hormones um, or same, like not everyone, like people ask, like, how do you transition? And it's like, well, I can't answer that question for you because <laughs> I'm not you. And there are lots of ways to be trans and to kind of come out. Like some people know their whole lives. Some people don't like, I definitely like, like the, like, I did not know when I was little, like I, I was definitely like more of a tomboy as a kid, but like, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think I started to have that disconnect. Like looking back can see some signs. Like I was definitely like, I hit puberty a little late, which I think helped. But like, I remember, like, I was very much in kind of denial of the fact that I was kind of like starting to grow breasts and starting to have more of that. Like, like I just kind of refused to acknowledge it when I, when it started happening, which is, I think like looking back, like, but part of it is like, I am autistic and I think that I can't separate those two things. And I think I've always, I, I'm, I, this is what I I say. I am not necessarily self-aware, but I'm self-reflective. So like looking back, I'm like, oh, that's what that was. Like Mm -hmm. I was kind of confused about things and like uncomfortable, but I couldn't necessarily identify with what, um, and like, looking back, I'm like, oh, okay. That's what, like, this makes more sense in this context. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, you know, sorry, that was not a linear answer to your question. No. <laughs> no, it was great. I mean, what is linear? I mean, yeah, it's, that's how the stories go. I will say, I, I'm surprised. I was expecting a story that was, you know, well, when I was a small child, I, you know, knew this and felt this or whatever. Um, I do have a friend whose daughter uh, from a very young age um, has known. Well, just to see that like, yes, at such a young age, it can be so clearly defined um, and outside of the, you know, the the typical gen, you know, how like our culture would define it, you know, like we, we aren't who our culture says we are all the, yeah. you know? And, and I think that's like, one of the things people don't understand about the idea of like, this is the phrase, some gender is a social construct, um, doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't exist. It means that what we kind of consider masculine or feminine or like how someone appears is socially constructed. Like, it's not like, like you don't look at someone and be like, oh, I think you're blah, 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 because you have blah, blah, blah genitalia, especially with like kids. It's like, right. oh, like, you know, you build it based on what we've, kind of constructed as male and female and like it's 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 interesting and I also will say like it okay so there's two books that I I would very much recommend to especially parents 
Um, I, they're, uh, the transgender child and the transgender teen, they're written by, um, there's two authors on each of them. Uh, there's, it's Stephanie Brill um, worked on both of them. Uh, and there's a different co-author author for each of them. Um, they are really good books. And I, and I read both of them because I wanted to be like, I want to rec- know what to recommend to parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was reading them and something that I found really interesting is that there's actually like, you know, any, you can, anyone can come out as trans at any age. But there are like a couple periods of develop, like there are a couple time periods in which there is like a cluster almost like a lot of kids kind of, a lot of kids come out when they're really little. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's kind of another group of kids that kind of come out at the beginning of puberty. And then there's kind of another group of, and then these are books for kids and adolescents that kind of come out in, later in puberty. There's sort of like these kind of stages where like, there's uh, like, I don't know quite how to describe it, but there's, there's like this group, this group, like there's kind of a couple different ages where you might expect it to happen. I mean, that uh, makes sense. I feel like that makes total sense because, at, at, you know, as the body is, is growing and developing, I mean, there's times where, yeah, you're just feeling more, uh, yeah, where you start to really kind of define yourself a little more. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. really kind of place yourself in the, in the environment that you're in and, and how you fit in. I mean, my kids go to a Waldorf school I don't know if you know much about that, but like Rudolf Steiner, um, you know, so he talks a lot about child development. He talks about like age nine is like the the age when they start to really understand them or start to explore who they are in the environment that they're in. Like if you look at a lot of different stage theories of development, you'll see those types of things. Like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a psych major and like it makes sense. Like there's, you know, little little kids are exploring different roles and then puberty you're kind of exploring changes in your body and then like later adolescence you're exploring social changes mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that's fascinating um so as well okay so i feel like you know like we kind of talked about like as parents or or, or adults you know with young children you being open to them exploring that and and you know, getting silly with it, if that's, if that's what we're doing, you know, with the silly names and, and all of that. So how can you, how can we support, uh, you know, teenagers who are just starting to explore yeah. this? I imagine that that's like, and especially, cause I think that's where like a lot of kids come out at like, yes, there is a group of kids that come out when they're really little, but a lot of kids come out like some point kind of around puberty or when they're teenagers and it can be really difficult and we have so much like with all of these like so many states right now are considering Mm. bills that will really Mm -hmm. fundamentally damage the mental health and even physical health of trans kids and I think one big thing is there's so much misunderstanding about what transition actually looks like specifically for kids um like for little kids like for kids especially kids who are like right around puberty you don't go on hormones right away you put a kid on puberty blockers a lot of times um like if you're going to do something medical and puberty blockers just kind of delay puberty but if you were to go off of them it would just happen like it's not like there's like it's not like you're doing like I just think that's a big myth that's being used to propel a lot of this where it's like oh no we're giving kids like very very rarely do kids get under 18 have any kind of surgical transition and Mm -hmm. even then it's really only 16 or 17 year olds 
Um, and there's like, they're really, really strict about teenage. And, and even then we're, we're mostly talking about like chest operations and kids who have like, they're very cautious about approving those surgeries yeah. for people under 18 and you're not doing them with little kids. Um, right. I, I just like think that's a big myth that people um, need to understand, but like very, very much I, I, the biggest thing you can do is use kids' names that they they prefer. Like, and it's not mm. a like use the kids' name that they have told you they want to go by, use the pronouns, be like one supportive and affirming adult can make such a huge difference. And then like having parents who are affirming or or if they don't maybe don't have parents having some adult in their life um who can be supportive and someone who they can be themselves with can be such an important thing um the other thing that i recommend i mentioned chops gender program which was hugely hugely important to me and i recommend it to to uh, local families but there are a lot of places across the united states that have similar programs. A lot of children's hospitals have mm-hmm. these multidisciplinary, you know, gender clinic programs where you might see someone from behavioral health, you might see a social worker, mm-hmm. you might see someone from endocrinology. So you might, and they can help refer you out to like, oh, here are other resources. Like I think that those programs can be really helpful, especially if you as a parent aren't sure, like oh no, what do I do? Like one of the big things those programs do is kind of also provide parent support and education. And like, it's very much like, all right, so like, let's get to know this, you as a kid and support you as a family. Like there's also different books and just, you know, helping that kid just be able to be themselves. In some ways it's like, it's that simple, but like at the same time, like it's not simple. Um, It's become this like very heated debate like I can't um, like I, I mean I am a trans young person like young adult I can't be imagine being a trans teenager right now with how much of like most of the anti-trans bills that are, are um, mm-hmm. being proposed specifically um, are our regulation about for trans youth like puberty blockers is, and that's really what it's going to affect is that trans healthcare is like trans healthcare for kids is is largely supportive care and like you might you put a kid on puberty blockers so that they have time to kind of figure out who they are before Mm -hmm. having puberty is irreversible like people talk about like all these are irreversible changes if you have a 13 year old who's starting puberty if you take away their access to that they're going to have a a, like in, in many ways a much harder time especially like you know yes hormones are a thing and like yes adults can can transition but if you can allow a kid to transition at an earlier age and allow them to go on puberty blockers the the mental health better the mental health outcomes for those kids are often much better than the kids who who do have to go like puberty is Mm -hmm. traumatic especially for trans kids because it's just this be feeling of just like for a lot of trans kids is just this like my body is betraying me. Um, so I, I just, I know I, I kind of keep circling back to that, but like access to that care is, is so important. And um, 
And then also just like, there are oftentimes different support groups um, and different online resources just right now is both a scary time to be a trans kid, but also like there's mm. more information and resources than there ever have been. Um, so it's just get, giving your kids the space to be themselves and like listening to them. And like, that doesn't mean like, cause you're, off, you're likely the kid's gonna want it, things to go a lot faster than they are. He just because, you know, that's a teenager, but it's your job as a parent not to be like, no, you don't know who you are. Like, that's not effective, but like to be like, okay, let's see what the actual steps are. Like, let's see what we can do because, because it is true. Like, you know, the concern about not wanting your kid to start hormones as soon as they come out as trans is like a valid concern. Mm -hmm. uh, and for teenagers, especially they're not, that's not how it works. Um, for, for adults, there are places like the process can look a little bit different, but for, for kids, for teenagers, it, especially they, they're gonna, they're not gonna prescribe the kid hormones right away. So being able to talk to, through with the kids and, and, and show them that you're willing to listen and you're a safe person for them to talk to, A, it's great for the kid. It's also gonna make your relationship with them better. Like if you have a trans teenager who does not, think that they can trust you they're not going to come to you with with like hey I'm being bullied at school or like that's when you start to really run the risks of having like suicide is is when kids shut down um whereas if you are able to be someone who they can talk to they're going to have much better outcomes um mm -hmm. yeah and I really do encourage parents, especially parents who are, are, are hesitant to reach out to, um, especially you, you live in California. I'm trying to remember. Yes, California. Like, so you're likely going to have like there's a, a slightly easier time finding, finding like doctors who are help, more helpful. Oh, yeah. And Reaching so that, out to, to gender clinics at children's hospitals is a big thing I encourage yeah. to parents because they're going to make some of those steps a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be excited about your kid being trans like like obviously as like you know talking to my conversations that I have with trans kids like trans teenagers are going to be a little different than the conversations I have with trans parents not because I I have different opinion opinions it's just they need to hear different messages like having a trans kid is not like probably especially if it's not something that was like in your wheelhouse like not something that you really like were familiar with or expecting like you're going to have concerns and and also even if you are the most affirming adult like there are concerns like you know you're worried about like what's gonna not gonna look like for my kid like are they gonna be bullied like are they gonna be accepted like mm -hmm. you know, there might be an impulse to kind of protect them be like no let's wait like I, I think that like I can see where that impulse comes from but I also think that that impulse the teenager's not able to see where that impulse comes from. Um, so like some conversations are like conversations to have with your kid and some conversations are conversations to have with uh, like professionals or a therapist who who's able to gonna be able to help you with, with like, you know, you are having to kind of in some ways like grieve the loss of the child you thought you had. It, I think almost similar mm -hmm. to kind of like, you know, like, I don't think having a disabled or autistic child is a bad thing. It's not a problem. But you are grieving the loss of what you thought. You're right. not grieving your child. Your child is still in front of you. I, I, I And in this, I'm sort of kind of 
I, I, I want to reference because I'm realizing I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing in some ways um, bits of uh, Jim Sinclair uh, is an autistic self-advocate, uh, uh, especially from like the early autism, uh, autistic self-advocacy movement, um, his uh, speech, Don't Mourn for Us, uh, which was directed at parents was like, don't, like, I, I think some of this similar idea can be applied is that mm -hmm. like, you don't, your child is still in front of you. And it's important that you love that child because you didn't lose a kid physically, you're, you're mourning your expectations and your like, you know, you, you might've had like a, like in mental roadmap of what you were expecting your kid's future to look like. And it's not going to look like that, but like what kid's future goes, like how their parents imagine. Right. <laughs> but like, that is very real. Like the, okay, like the what ifs or like, what does this mean? Or like, is this a phase? Like I, I, but a lot of times by the time trans kids come out, especially teenagers, like older kids come out to their parents, they've been thinking about it probably like likely for a lot longer than you realize. Like they, 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 they may have already kind of, kind of like gone through some of those same doubts. Um, and I think it's important to, you know, make sure you're like, understand where they're coming from, but also like, if you have those doubts, don't keep them to yourself entirely, but like not putting them on the kid. But at the same time, like, you know, they are real concerns. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what, how's, how's the school administration going to react? Like, what, how are other kids going to react? Especially like, I know you have your podcast audience is largely, you know, um, parents of disabled kids. And like, if you have a disabled kid who's also trans, like they're probably like, you're already probably worried about like what their future is going to look like, how other kids are treating them. And, and, and like autistic kids are, it's interesting. Our autistic people are much more likely to be trans or gender non-conforming, but there's this other thing where it's like, parents are like, how can they know if they're autistic? Which is like, mm -hmm. I, I think not, it's like, they're still a person they still have thoughts and, and in some ways, autistic people have a more complicated relationship with gender identity. But just because, you know, they're autistic doesn't mean that they don't can't also be trans. But like, you're probably right. going to have more concerns because that you're already you might be dealing with bullying or like issues with school. Like school's already going to be hard for them if they're disa a disabled teenager um, uh, or like if they already have a lot on their plate, like like, okay, we're already having, like, you know, they're already having to, like, deal with this, this, and this with, like, special education or, like, all these different therapies, like, you might be, like, won't this be too much? But, like, you know, they might have already thought of that. I, it's just, like, I do want to, like, validate those concerns, but also at the same time, it is, like, you know, important to, like, not let that impact the way that you discuss it with your kid. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are degrees, like it's not, your kid might want to go fast. And I, and I think it really, I, I can't say like, this is the, and I think this is one thing is a lot of times parents want to be like, what is the step-by-step? -step? Like what's step one? And, and like, there's not really an answer to that question um, that fits every single time. Um, right. It's going to look different for everybody. And that's why getting the outside help, going to the gender clinics or, or getting help from, from, um, yeah, from knowledgeable people will make it easier and, you know, hopefully a smoother transition in whichever way it goes. But if yeah. you have these people who have experience and have knowledge, they can help you 
kind of figure out how this process is going to look. Like, it's not like all at once. And, and a lot of times it's like, okay, well, what if we started using this name at home before you start using it at school? Like, or like a lot of times teenagers might have already done their own research and they're like, well, this is the name I've been using with my friends, but I don't use it with like, so you might come out to your family and like your immediate family, you might start using different, like one name, like at home, but like, or, or you might go clothes shopping and get some more forming clothes, but the kid, your kid might not be ready to wear those to school. So you you kind of, it's not even like you come out all at once. It's kind of being trans is just this like constant, like you don't come out once. I, I'm, right. I'm coming out always. Like I've been out for years, but just like, you know, it's not like a, oh, now everybody knows. It, it can be like, a, okay, let's do this. We can do this home or like bubble with friends um, and, and like, okay, maybe what does it look like to get a haircut or like, what if we did that? Like, it's not like a, okay, now we need to do all of this. Mm -hmm. It can be like a start, try this at home, see how it feels or try this somewhere safe. Because I think that's important is like, it, it can be scary. And I think it is important to explore. And I think the way that our society is set up, we don't really like it when people explore things. Um, um, be, but I also like, I'm like, okay, if it was a phase, like what's the harm in that in the long mm -hmm. run? If it's like, I think it, it's healthy, especially for kids and teenagers to like explore. And I, I'm not saying like explore using hormones. Like I should be very clear. Right. Like, explore, explore with like the pronouns and the pronouns or the name, the haircut. Different clothes. Like teenagers are always trying out different clothes at school but like what's the harm in letting your kid like try I mean like there are perhaps harms just because of the society we live in but like you know especially like you know maybe during maybe over the summer they go to a summer camp that's inclusive and they try that out and they really feel strong in that and then they can go back to school with that like there's lots of you know or like okay, we can try this when we go to this community. And, and I think it's also, there are a lot of uh, more and more nowadays, like spaces that are designed, like that are explicitly for trans kids or inclusive of trans kids where they, okay, we're going to go to this play group or like find other parents with kids that are similar things. And, and maybe, you know, like, obviously you're not going to force a friendship, but especially with younger kids, like, right. hey, like let's have a play date with this other kid and like give kids the opportunity to have safe spaces to explore something. And that also gives you time as a parent to transition. Like you're going through a transitionary phase as well, like transitioning from having, you know, you know, I mean, not that your kid isn't your kid. Like, it's not like your, your son is not, like, that's the other thing. It's just like, it's not that your daughter is now your son. It's that your son thought he, like, you know, like it, different people prefer different languages, languages, mm -hmm. like it's the was language is sometimes hard for people. Like that's mm. one of the things that I personally have a complicated relationship with that, some of that terminology. But I think in general, a lot of times, one of the things trans people run up with, it's like, no, I wasn't like, like it's not, I, I was a boy, now I'm a girl. I was always a girl. I just didn't know I was like, not me, but like, that's an example. Like, it's like, right. she was a boy or like she was her son or like, she is using he pronouns. It's like, no, he is using he pronouns and he used to use she pronouns. Like, um, or like, you know, she used to go by blah, blah, blah. It, the, some of that is that like understanding that it's not that you have, like this person isn't like, was a boy, is a girl, um, mm -hmm. is a girl, get the, didn't 
get the opportunity to be a girl in town hall or didn't like it's it's not a transition into other it's a transition into self Mm -hmm. um so it's not like I'm changing my gender like that's not I'm affirming my gender like okay uh the DSM actually the 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 DSM-5 TR uh update came out I think yesterday or a few days ago and one of the the things that they changed was some of the criteria for gender dysphoria which that's a whole conversation. Um, my, my feelings on it is gender dysphoria. As long as the way that we do healthcare in this country is the way it is, we need it to be a diagnosis in order for healthcare to be accessible for people. Because if you get rid of the gender dysphoria diagnoses, then you mm. get rid of the justification for okay. uh, affirming care. But one of the things that they finally changed is um, is that like. Uh, desired gender into live experienced gender um they finally changed um like cross-sex hormones to uh hormone uh, I forget what they did for hormones but like gender reassignment to gender confirmation or like because it's not that you're changing yeah. something you are affirming and I think that's right. a really helpful way to think of it yeah I like that I like that language you have given us so much information and clarity and I really appreciate you sharing your own experience and yeah, I'm really grateful. I I feel like there's a lot for parents to, to gain from this, uh, gain from this conversation. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, one more question, if you have any uh, advice out there, maybe for, for teenagers who are questioning or, or I don't think young children are listening to this podcast at all, but no, I mean, little kids are <laughs> doing whatever it is that they want to do about dinosaurs and dolls. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But if, if, you know, if there was a parent listening to this and they uh, wanted, you know, to listen to with, with their uh, teenager, if there were some questions that do you have like any kind of go-to advice or words of encouragement advice for teenagers in general teenager being a teenager ends oh yeah (laughs) like you're not going to be a teenager forever (laughs) high school is not forever and I think that's especially true for trans teenagers because like some of the weirdness of being a trans teenager is being a trans teenager uh like I, I I just I encourage yeah trans trans young people to like reach out um like you know like know that there are people even if you're I mean if you're like parents listen to this you probably have at least somewhat supportive parents but like if there's not someone right now um who you know you have to listen like there are people who who will listen and there are people who do get it and like you are not alone um, there are so many uh, other trans young people and there are trans adults like um, more and more now like uh, they're just you know like it's not you're not like alone I think is is an important thing for teenagers to hear mm-hmm. in general. but like, like this is something that like you share with so many people um, and and it like it's cliche but like really like if it's hard right now like it, it, it's not going to be hard like this forever mm-hmm. like I, it is hard like being a teenager stinks 
uh, and being a trans teenager is extra hard because you have to like a lot of times like you aren't able to like full, like you have to go through adults to make choices about your own body which can be really frustrating um but you are learning how to advocate for yourself now and that skill will continue to serve you.